we've been spending some time the, the last few weeks talking about and, and looking at what Scripture says about what the church of Jesus Christ ought to look like. What, what should we be and, and what's the, the mission, what's the, the personality that our church should have and, and what would Christ have us to be? Because at, at Redbud, this is a time of transition. We've got a search committee that's looking and they're seeking for who God's prepared or is preparing to, to lead this church into the future. But it really starts with, with every one of us, every single individual, that the, the pastor who leads is a critical, critical part of the puzzle, but every one of us is a critical part. What does God want from me, and what does God want from you, and how do we serve together? And uh, one of the things that, that I believe is critical and that Scripture points to is the centrality of Jesus Christ is our message. You know, we can draw people to the church a lot of different ways. Uh, I, I may have told you before, but one of my friends, when the first church I pastored, he was in a neighboring church. He put you know, money in the offering plate, and he told people, come to church, whatever the Sunday was, and instead of putting money in the plate, we're going to give you money. And he was you know, bragging, excited in advance, and then bragging afterwards that they had a lot of people. And and I just jokingly, I said, well, if you put more money in the plates, you'd have more people, you know, to take out. And I said, you didn't give them, but his goal was he was going to give them a dollar that they could take out of the offering plate and invest it for a year, and at the end of the year, bring it back, and that was going to be their offering to God. And I said, if you gave them 20 bucks instead of one, you'd probably have more people. And he said, I don't know. I said, I, actually, I do. I mean, they would have come. It doesn't mean you'd have gotten more at the end of the year. You know, but, but they would have come and, and taken it because this was 30 years ago. That was a, that had been a whole lot of money. It's still a decent amount now, but you know, 20 then was like, what, 50 or $75 now. And, yeah, they'd have come. Yeah, I mean, we can get people to come through some tricks and, and, and some cajoling sometimes, but Jesus Christ is the central part of our message. And, and if we get people to come briefly for any number of things, and, and they may be you know, good motivations, having great programs is a good motivation, but Jesus Christ is still the, the central thing. And Jesus Christ is who's going to change lives. And so in the, the scriptures that I feel we should focus on today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just a, a great foundational passage where Paul's reminding the Corinthians about what's central to the church, and beginning in, in verse 12, he says this to them. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but, gain, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. Or if we're of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Bow with me, please, as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your direction. Uh, you've got a plan for each of our lives, and dear God, we want to be in the center of it. So help us to see and, and help us to understand. Give us the courage to follow you, to, to uh, be true to you as Lord of our lives. Uh, we give you our everything, dear Lord. Thankful, thankful, thankful for the gift you gave of your own life. We surrender ours now to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You know, Jesus Christ is who changes our lives. And uh, I've, I heard a, a preacher preach many, many years ago, and I, I don't remember his whole sermon. I don't remember much of it, to be honest. This was 40 years ago I heard him. But he started off telling the, the difference between a conviction and an opinion. And his story was, as he talked about it, an opinion is something that we hold. A conviction is something that holds us. And the difference is if I've got an opinion about something, I can change it whenever I want to change it. You know, if I want chicken today, I'll get chicken. If I want beef, I'll get beef. And tomorrow I want something different, that's an opinion. You know, if I like cold weather, fine. If I decide tomorrow I don't like cold weather anymore, I can change my thermostat. You know, that's an opinion is like a thermostat. We can move it however we want to move it, and it, it changes certain things around us. But a conviction is what grips us and holds us, and it's what we go to bed grasping, and when we wake up in the morning, it's what we wake up thinking about. It's what drives us. You know, a conviction is something that goes beyond what the circumstances are and it's why sometimes people will ask you when you're doing something and you've got a passion for it and they'll say why, why do you put yourself out to do that well it's because that that thing has gripped you it's got a hold of you so as the church of jesus christ the the question i want us to answer today is and to think about based on this scripture in second corinthians and also the Romans 5 that we read earlier. When we put our feet on the floor this morning and we prepared to come to Redbud, and then as we, we leave in, in just a few minutes and we go out into the world into the week, what are the convictions that drive us and that are fun, fundamental, non-negotiable principles that Redbud Baptist Church stands for, that we're not going to compromise. 
you know, if it's an opinion, I can compromise that. Well, if I like chicken and you want beef, you know what, never mind. Let's go get a hamburger then. You know, that's an opinion. But a conviction is something, no, I'm not going to negotiate on that. That's, that's not negotiable. That's bedrock. That's foundational. Well, there are some principles that in, in 2 Corinthians he, he talks about, and that is that, number one, people without Christ are lost. You know, Jesus says in, in John 14, 6, when they're, they're talking with him, and, and they're looking really for something different. They're looking for what's going to happen later on. And, and Jesus says to them, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I mean, he lays it out. and They're, they're looking for other things. They're looking for end times kind of things. And he's saying, I, I need to make you understand. You want to come to the Father, you aren't getting there except through me. Well, here in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 12, Paul says, We don't commend ourselves again to you, but give opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. That's what things look like. You know, like my friend wanting to get people to church by giving them a dollar that they were going to invest in and bring back. Now, he didn't tell us a year later how much people brought back. You know, we never heard that. It doesn't mean they didn't. I just... It wasn't important to him, you know, really. Apparent, well, boast in appearance and not in heart. If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. So he, Paul's saying if you think we're crazy, it's for God. You know, we're sold out on him. And if we're of sound mind, you know, if, if we're doing things rationally, and th we, we want that to be for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. You know, people who reject Jesus Christ, they can be successful in this life. You know, you may have friends that, that reject Jesus Christ, and they may not outwardly say, you know, no, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But they're just saying, hey, I, I made my way in life and I don't need him. I stood in the driveway of a friend of mine some years ago and he had a successful, very successful uh, business. And he made this comment. He said, you know, nobody ever gave me anything in life, even God. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, I earned everything I got. I've worked for the money I made. My business is my business, and I earned it. And God hasn't given me anything. And I just uh, was absolutely stunned. This was a regular, faithful church member saying, I earned everything I got. And I said, well, you, uh, you really want everything you earned? And that Jesus doesn't give you anything? You really want it that way? And he said, well, now, wait a minute. I'm healthy. He gave me the health to be able to work and earn what I've got. And I said, you're, you know, he's going all around saying his life is all about him, basically. You know, I earned it and Jesus didn't give me anything. Well, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Well, my friend, as he talked a little bit that day, he realized what he said, and I, I pushed him a little bit, but I, to be honest, I was kind of trying to get him to dig a hole. But as he thought about it and realized I just said something I don't really believe, he was talking about his business. Nobody handed him a business. That's true. He, he did work hard. He worked a lot of hours. He worked 60, 78 hours a week. That's, tr that's very true. And he worked hard to make the business successful. But the thing he said wrong was when he said, even Jesus didn't give me anything. Oh, yes, he did. Now, people without Christ are lost. They might be successful in business. They might be well-respected in community. They might be famous, and, and there might be people that others go to for sound business or legal or, or personal advice. They, they might, maybe. But they're still lost. And they've got a, a debt that they just absolutely cannot pay. Uh, they might be able to do good things. You know, if we could earn our salvation then we could work our way through it. We, but we can't earn it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, in the verses we just read, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. You know, people without Christ are living for their own selves. And they may not, if you and I could just compare them and say, well, if I can just live better than the, the guy or the lady down the street, if, I, if my role model is them, then all I've got to do is outdo them and everything's good, right? You know, when I was in college and I went into a, a class, one of my first questions normally and I'd usually, or if I'd, somebody else didn't, I would, I'd ask them in public, hey, are you going to grade on the curve? And I wanted the professor to say yes. And if it's yes, then, then all I've got to do is beat the majority of the other people, and I'm going to make at least a B if it's on the curve. God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades us, if you want to put it that way, which is a very kind of gross way to think of it, but he grades us against the holy standard of perfection. He created us in his image, the image of perfection, and with a desire for us to live and to look and to act like him. So the person down the street might do more that we consider you know, wrong in our eyes and, and maybe in scripturally in God's eyes. They do more wrong than we do but unless we're perfect, absolutely perfect, then we've fallen short of the standard. And so we still failed the class. And so like in college, if the person says, I'm going to grade against perfection, then I'm in trouble to begin with in school. You know, I'm not going to be perfect even in my, my better days. I'm going to get some things wrong. Well, people who do not know Jesus Christ are saying voluntarily, no, I, I, judge me against perfection. If, I, if I'm created in the image of God and God desires for me to be like Him, if I fall short of looking like Him, then I failed. It's okay, I'll, I'll take that on my back. Well, people without Christ are saying that. I want to be judged based on, on perfection, and I want to be judged like that. 
And we're all going to have to make an account. We're going to have to give an account. As we read down in verse 18, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, probably most of us have a, a checking account, right, where you, you, know, you can write checks on it or debit card or, or do your, your you know, Apple Pay or something that goes against an account. Well, you may or may not reconcile it, you know, visually or, or, or yourself. You, you may not pay attention to it. But, you know, when, when you have that account from which you draw funds, somebody's paying for it when you withdraw those funds. Now, you may not keep up with it. You have an account and you keep withdrawing funds and don't keep up with it. You know, eventually what's going to happen unless you just put an overabundance and keep pouring it in, which I don't really know anybody who does that. But if you withdraw from an account, eventually that account's going to be overdrawn. And somebody's paying that bill. Now, you can, you know, legally in, in our country and maybe in other ones legally, you can get to a point when eventually you can declare bankruptcy and say, well, uh, and I've known people who did this and said, it'll be all right, you know, I did this and did that, but the, the laws protected me and I wasn't completely destroyed and all. Somebody's paying that bill. Somebody's paying for it. You know, when we charge against that account and you say, well, I overdrew my account by more money than I've got and I'll just cry for the leniency of the court, somebody is paying the bill. You know, my first day in economics class, a professor, we walk in, and I do not remember his name. I wish I did. He was a wonderful guy. I loved him. And we walked in the first. He had the, the bow tie, you know, back before. A lot of people wear them now, but back then people didn't really wear them. Came in, he had the bow tie and the white shirt, and he looked like an economics professor. And he wrote on the board in big letters, there is no free lunch. And he said, that's economics, people. You get that part? Now everything else is just the details of that. Well, when you get to our sin account, somebody's paying for our sin. Somebody's paying for it. So now it's either going to be you and me or it's going to be somebody else. And actually there are really only two choices. So Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, another verse that you're probably just as familiar with in, in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. Well, that's what Romans 5, the verses that we read earlier talk about. God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, he did that on purpose. He did that to pay for our sin because somebody had to pay for the sin. We're reading that in the verses that we read earlier. We, we've already read he reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us, that's the church, that's believers, the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, 
That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, their sins to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So if we believe that people without Christ are lost, and we've got that, that conviction that people without Christ really are lost, you know, it's not okay to go through life and to reject Christ. And a second conviction that, hey, hell is real. It's real. There's going to be not just a physical death, but an eternal death. I read a, a thing on, I think, ESPN or some, some website this week. Some athlete was talking about he had had an accident and he died and everything was black. And he took that to mean that there was nothing. They pronounced him dead, uh, he says, and, and I don't doubt him. You know, the doctors pronounced him dead for a while. And he said everything was black, which showed him there isn't anything. This life is all there is. And I thought, you're making an eternal decision based on what you remember from a, a moment because you actually couldn't have been dead because you remember this stuff. And you're making an eternal judgment based on what at least you think you remember. Goodness. Well, hell actually is real. There is an eternal price to pay. The wages of sin is death and he's... It is physical, yes. The Adam story, Adam and Eve story, yeah, that's real. If nobody had ever sinned, we could, God created us to live with Him forever. But sin broke that relationship. So physically, we're going to die. But there are two eternal places prepared there's heaven and there's hell. And we're going to one of them. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So what we're doing if we reject Jesus Christ is we're taking eternity based on your and my logical argument as to why we think or we don't think something's true when Jesus, the infinite one, said, hey, this is the way it is. There's a way to God, and that's through me. Or we can pay the penalty of our sin. We can reconcile it. So again, think about that account where you're looking at the balance sheet. And we're falling short every day, so we're going into a, a little bit of a deficit you know, every single day. Anytime we're falling short of, of what God would have us to be, we're withdrawing from that account. And we don't have enough to put back in it. We're going to have to settle up one day. And so somebody like my friend who's saying, well, God never gave me anything. He's wrong in this life. But he's also wrong when he's thinking about the eternal life. God's made us right through Jesus Christ. He's put, as we just read in verse 19, imputing the trespasses to them. So God's not putting the weight of my sin on my shoulders. He intentionally put that on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. If you read Isaiah 53, just a powerful passage. Let's, let's look at that and read through those verses in verses 4, 5, and 6. Talking about the suffering servant. This is before Jesus came. Surely He, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, 
and by his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Imagine all the, all the debits, all of the withdrawals from my account in life, every sin I committed, every time that, that I did something and I owe God for, I've got to pay it back. That he took all of that debt that I'm absolutely unable to pay and he shifted it from, from my ledger and he put it all on the ledger of Jesus. And that Jesus voluntarily has said, and, and this, is, this is what he really did. They didn't trick him or fool him or, or find him powerless to do anything against it when he went to the cross. It's not like Jesus was trapped into that. He was the infinite one, but he voluntarily took my debt on his shoulders and said the wages of sin, Paul Langston, is death. You deserve to die physically and you deserve to spend an eternity punished in hell, but because I love you, I'm going to take that to the cross and I'm going to let them do that to me so that it doesn't happen to you. You know, hell's real. And it's what we deserve. We earned it. We earned it. You know, we work at a job for a week and end of the week or a month or whenever they pay you, they pay you. You earned it. They give it to you. Well, our earnings for sin is physical and spiritual death, but Jesus Christ said, you don't have to get that. I'll take it for you. But there's another part, not just a conviction that people without Christ are lost and that hell is real, but a conception of, of how brief time is. You know, my granddad lived to be 100. That's long by our standards. But in the standards of eternity, that's just a flash. Time's brief. None of us is going to live forever. If our time on earth is, is fleeting and we don't know when things are going to end, then what that says is, what I want to do for Jesus Christ, I best do now. I best start doing it right now. And a conception also of the value of a soul. How much is it worth if people without Christ are lost and hell is real and if time really is brief and I don't have forever to do what I'm going to do, then how much now is it worth for us at Redbud and for me as an individual to do whatever I can do in the name of Jesus Christ while I'm here? You know, churches look at budgets all the time and, and, and we rightfully make a decision. Something's going to cost something. And you say, well, is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I, I'll do it, you know, when I go to a restaurant. You know, how badly do I want whatever it is? Am I willing to pay for it? Is it worth it? If we really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way 
that a human being is going to spend an eternity with the Father, then that means the soul is of infinite worth. And it's worth everything Redbud's ever done to reach one. You know, one of the youth that we you know, get all the, the stew for, and they're not a believer now, but because of churches poured into them and giving them opportunities, and then through the leadership here and, and other people in other places and things, and that one child, one, you know, comes to know Jesus Christ, it's worth all the hundred years of stew and all other things that Red Bud Baptist Church will ever do because that's an eternity thing. You can't put a price tag on that. They can make a Visa or MasterCard or whoever it was that you know, does the commercials that, that talks about how much something's worth. You can't put a price tag on the value of a human soul. It's of infinite, infinite value. Now, this passage starts off saying that, that we don't regard anyone according to the, the human viewpoint and the human stand, standpoint. I had an interesting encounter last night that uh, just was amazing. I was able to be at a supper that Dennis and Deborah Holloway were doing for some wheelchair ramp builders in Rockingham. And I've known Dennis for, for years. And at the end of it, Dennis shared this story that's just, uh, just kind of earth-shaking, really. Dennis said he went somewhere, and he said where it was. I just don't remember where it was. He went on a disaster relief thing somewhere, and he was doing chainsaw work. And Dennis said he came in at the end of the day. They were there for devotions, supper, and then devotion was right afterwards. And he said this one guy came in, and he had a long ponytail, and he was filthy and dirty. And Dennis said, at that point in time, I didn't think much of ponytails. And I'm looking at this guy. He's dirty. And he, Dennis said, I thought, you know, he could have just taken a minute to go wash up a little bit and be more presentable and put on a clean shirt. And he, Dennis, and I'm quoting Dennis, so I don't, you know, this is his story. And Dennis said, I, I sat there and thought, you know, I bet you when we get to devotion time, he's going to be the first person to raise his hand and going to want to blow his horn about what he did. And Dennis said, we, we ate supper, we had devotion, devotion started, and sure enough, Soon as they said, does anybody have a testimony? He said, that Mr. Ponytail is what Dennis called him. He said, Mr. Ponytail raised his hand, and Dennis said, yeah, all right, here it comes. He's going to brag on himself. He said, the guy started off and said, folks, I need to apologize that I'm dirty and not cleaned up. We got in kind of late from where we were. And he said, the, the man, Mr. Ponytail, <laughs> said, uh, that, folks, this is what happened to me today. He said, I got my job assignment, and I got sent to the snooty side of town. His words. And said, I rode by the house and said it was a little old tree with some limbs broken. And I rode by and thought, these people have the money to pay for anything they need done. Why are they even bothering to send us here? This is a complete waste of time. But then the guy said, well, to his team, said, well, let's at least stop and see what it is they want. Maybe there's something we can't see. He's, they rang, 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 took a bunch of rings of the doorbell, and finally a 95-year-old lady came to the door, and she had tears in her eyes. 
And she said, y'all, I'm 95 years old and I'm, uh, I got cancer and I'm, I'm dying. And I do not know Jesus Christ. And I figured that some of you people with the yellow shirts could tell me about him. And that's why I called. And so Mr. Ponytail, I don't know who he was, he said, we, you know, we told her about Jesus. We spent a few minutes you know, cutting up her limbs and said then we spent the rest of the day talking to that dear old lady about Jesus Christ. And he said, we led her to the Lord today. We spent the day with her. He said, end of the day, this lady who you know, by her definition was dying with cancer, and he said, I don't know where she, you know, I'm just... He said, I'm telling you what she told me. He said, but we got the privilege. And so that man said, just like Paul said here in the verses we read, I'm not going to judge anybody according to the flesh. That guy with the ponytail said, I judged her based on the fact that she lived in a nice house, but she was spiritually lost. And Dennis said, I'm sitting here judging Mr. Ponytail, thinking I don't like ponytails. Why didn't you cut your hair and clean up? And in sharing the story last night, Dennis said, you know, I've thought a lot about growing a ponytail since then. <laughs> because if that's what it takes to lead somebody to Christ, I'll take one. Because we've got a central mission as followers of Jesus Christ, and that is to lift him up to the world around us. Because this is life versus death. It's, it's, it's not just a game. It's not that you know, we think we're better than somebody else. We're not better than anybody. You know, we serve a God who is infinite in his mercy, and we're living proof of it that we just don't deserve it. But he gives it anyway. He took all the, the debits and the debts that were on my account and laid them on his son Jesus Christ, and Jesus said, I'll pay that debt for you. And we've got that same message to share with others. That Jesus Christ loves us enough to give his life for us. That's the central message of the church. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good he is. And he offers us a, a way to him that only goes through Jesus Christ. It's that important. It's that critical. You know, if we really believe that, it's going to change how we live in a day and in a week. Because we're not going to miss sharing that message. Like Dennis said in his story, he said, you know, I'd work with Chainsaw all week. He said, we did a lot of projects. He said, but that one guy with, with that few people on his team, he said, they accomplished more in that day than all the trees I ever cut in my life. Because they introduced someone to Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you know, maybe you know, looking at the ledger of your life, you're thinking, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm better than the man or the woman down the road. You might be completely right. But if you have voluntarily accepted the debt of your sin onto your own self rather than casting yourself into the merciful arms of Jesus Christ, 
Then when it comes time to reconcile that statement, just like the bank statement, you're the one who's going to pay that debt. And you'll spend an eternity paying it. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. Because Jesus Christ said, I'll pay it for you. I already did. But you've just got to be willing to say, your life is no longer yours, but it's, it's mine now. Surrender yourself to me, and I've canceled your debt. I've paid it. It's not wiped out, per se. it's paid. There's a difference between being ignored and being paid. Jesus said, I've paid it. It's paid, it's done. Folks, that gives us something that a person can't get anywhere else. And it's not because of Red Bud. It's because of Jesus Christ. And that's life-changing. You know, in a world without hope, in a world that's torn and divided and fighting and just carrying on all the time, looks like we look for ways to just be aggravated and ill and mad at each other and how to offend each other. And Jesus Christ is saying, I'm the one, I'm the one, who's reaching out to every one of you. No matter how much money you have or you don't have, how famous you are or you're not, how strong you are or weak you are, Jesus is saying, you need me. Because I'm the one who can reconcile you to God. You know, reconciling, you know, again from the bank statement thing, reconciles to make it right, even up things. And through Jesus Christ, God made things between you and me and him right. That's what he's offering us. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and said, I'm completely at your mercy, Lord, I'm yours. Today's the day to do that. Don't carry that burden any longer. The weight on you, Jesus Christ carried that. This is the moment to say yes to him. Will you bow with me, please, in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly thankful. We're not worthy of all that you've done for us. You paid a price that we never could have paid. We read about it in Romans 5 and 2 Corinthians 5. You made things right that we, we couldn't make right. God, thank you. So help us to see our sin, to see where we have failed you. And God, give us the courage to bow before you in complete surrender. And then show us the world, the people to whom you would have us to go. And give us words to say, thank you, God, for the privilege of being ministers of reconciliation on your behalf. We surrender to you now in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, Paul said to the Corinthians he'd given us the ministry of reconciliation. The beginning point for us to be able to do that is to be reconciled ourselves. Surrender. Now, yes, Lord Jesus, I need you. Not only have you given me life and health, like my friend did say, but you've given me an eternity that I never, ever, ever, ever could have earned. So to be reconciled ourselves, 
But then the ministry of reconciliation says that's the message we take out from here to our world. Jesus Christ actually has something for you that you could never get any other way. He gives you a hope and a future. So this morning in our invitation, there, there are two ways we can commit. One is personally surrendering to Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to him, this is the day to do that. Say, Lord, I recognize the debt I owe that I could never pay. Thank you for paying it. You're Lord of my life. I surrender to you. But the second one is for you and me to be the, the ministers of reconciliation going out into the world and sharing that message, making a commitment that that's going to be what they recognize from us, that Jesus Christ is hope for the hopeless. And we're taking that message out. So as we stand together and sing, our hymn is hymn 437. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll be at the front to receive you. The altar is open for you to kneel and bow right here. Jesus Christ is calling. Let's stand.